Well, I'm really uh, excited to be in this series with you all. We are uh, looking over a, a bunch of um, essential truth, core values that we believe are significant to the life of our church. Before I jump into the passage, I, I want to share uh, a, a little story that, that's really fascinating. Probably many of you have heard of the name Wilt Chamberlain, right? Basketball great. One of the greatest players ever. Played for two different teams in Philadelphia and was just an absolute powerhouse. In December of 1961, Wilt Chamberlain had the chance to play against what everybody else considered was one of the other best basketball players at the time, a man named uh, Elgin Baylor. And Baylor, at the time, had the record for the most points scored in a single game. Most points scored in a single game. And Chamberlain, playing against Baylor, got to decimate Baylor's record, racking up 78 points in a single game blowing out the previous held record. Now that's super impressive. It, I'm sure people were freaking out, but you know what's something really interesting? When the buzzer sounded and the court was cleared, Wilt Chamberlain walked back to the losing locker room. See, it turns out that he, he put up this amazing record score what team lost that night? I draw your attention to that story because we're going to hear a similar story in the book of Judges this morning. And I, I want to ask you as you begin this morning, what is the score that you want to keep in terms of your faith, of your interaction with God? So this is Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 7 through verse 10. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Haras, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, would you give us clarity tenderness, conviction, a willingness to walk through not an abstractly difficult passage, but for many of us, a personally difficult subject. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just like Chamberlain that night in December of 61, 
there was a personally amazing score, and yet he lost the game. Joshua, famous, well-known, the people having had God do all of these amazing things, soon after, their children even, had no idea what the Lord had done. And so, one of the core values that we have seen as as rising to the surface, as being something that we want to hold on to and and make sure not just that that we hold, but that we hold and we share and we talk about is what we're describing as generational faithfulness. Generational faithfulness. And we say generational faithfulness because when we're talking about keeping score, the score that matters is that we are faithful in what we receive and equally faithful in what we are going to hand down to the next generation. That's very different, maybe, than than some of the scores that we normally think about in our life and our faith. Because being being generationally faithful means that we recognize that God's family, it extends from the oldest saints in our church to the youngest children in our church, and that we are called to faithfully, to effectively, to intentionally minister in every generation. In every generation. Because what we see in this passage in Judges is that you can see the work of God and still lose the game. I mean, just just think about Joshua for a second. Joshua and Caleb are, are the only two men that God allows of that generation to stay alive and move into the promised land. So Joshua was probably a young man or a child when God sent Moses to Egypt. A young man who saw the plagues of Egypt, who saw Moses stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And the exodus itself, as God's people went out, Joshua was someone who saw with his own eyes the Lord part the Red Sea. It was not a story for him. It was a lived experience when day in and day out, year after year, the only way they ate was through the Lord's provisions in the wilderness. Joshua experienced firsthand the pillar of fire, and a pillar of smoke that led God's people. He saw all of it. He experienced all of it. And yet, within a generation of his death, there arose people that neither had a relationship with God nor had heard any of the stories of God's faithfulness. See, sometimes we we forget how fragile the church can be in terms of handing off faithfully, wisely, intentional the truth of the gospel. 
the truth of what God has done. And so as a church, we have been and we are committed. We, we would say that good news is intentionally, emo- excuse me, <coughs> I'm getting excited and yelling at you, intentionally a multi-generational church. And that goes back to the earliest stories of our church. That even before folks were gathering for worship, did you know that there were, there were backyard Bible clubs? There were child evangelistic fellowship meetings that were happening that gathered steam, that built momentum to the point where people said, it's not just these kids here, but they're kids and, and parents and grandparents and neighbors. There, there's a church here. That goes back to the oldest part of how we were formed as a congregation. And yet, very honestly, there is a tension in being intentionally multi-generational. It's it's easy to, to kind of slip one way or the other. It's easy to, on the one hand, end up being a church that, that romanticizes, that idolizes youth culture. That we feel as if we... We, we have to keep up. We have to look young. If, if advertising is targeting this demographic, then we as the church have to target this young demographic. And what we need to do then is pretend as if we are this young demographic. And so, even though we're probably closer to 74 or 54, we try to act like we're 24. And nobody's tricked by it. <laughs> were, were you tricked by it when you were young? <laughs> no. And, and, and in this temptation to, to idolize youth culture, what can happen is that we throw out anything that isn't immediately new, anything that isn't immediately novel. We say, no, no, we, we, don't, we don't need that old stuff anymore. But let me be very clear. Christianity is, is not a novel message. It's a faith that is handed down from generation to generation. I mean, we can go to, I love this passage in 2 Timothy. Just count how many generations are there. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is not just something that we come up with on our own. This is something that we're handed, which means that it is important for us to hold onto the faith that we've been handed, a a true historic faith that sees Jesus, God in the flesh, at the center, that sees a world that struggles under the weight and the pain of sin, sees a God who cares so much about you that he comes and he dwells in our world to free you, to care for you, to love you, to bring you healing. We didn't come up with that. That's been around since the very beginning of Christianity. And we have to hold on to that. But at the same time, what can happen is that we can end up on the other side of that danger. And on the other side of that danger is a church that embalms itself. 
A church that has no room for change. A church that has no room for anything new at all because the only goal is the preservation of the past. And so what can happen is that the church moves from a lively community to a living history museum where we have to do the thing that they did because that's what they did, even though we're not sure why they did it, but that's what we do too. We also can't fall off on that side because to be a truly multi-generational church, it means that we have to hold on to what is precious. We have to hand down what is precious, but it also means making space for new contributions. We, um, we have a few family cookbooks in our house. And the beautiful thing about those family cookbooks is that there are still pages at the back of the book for new recipes, for new inclusions, for things that one day Delia's granddaughter will say, I love great-grandma Joanna's recipe. But she hasn't even put in there yet. To be a multi-generational church means that we celebrate both ancient wisdom and fresh insight. Because generational faithfulness means holding on to our past, our present, and our future. But let me be clear. Generational faithfulness does not mean treating everyone as interchangeable. It does not mean presuming that everything should be done exactly the same. That our oldest saints and our youngest saints need the same care, the same things going on, that they have the same concerns. They don't. It doesn't mean just throwing everything into the same pot and presuming that they all need the same treatment. In our house, it is soup season. And my wife is amazing at cooking different recipes. And... Whenever I make soup, the the carrots are too hard, the potatoes are too mushy, because I just throw everything into the water and I turn it on to hot. She knows that different ingredients go into the pot at different times. There's different preparation, there's different needs. Each generation, each moment in life, you, you have different struggles, don't you? You have different strengths, too. The Bible knows that. Proverbs 20 says exactly that. The glory of a young man is their strength. Talking about like the muscles. The splendor of old men is their gray hair. Not just, you know, the the salt and pepper that some of us have or the gray that we have. But in the Bible, gray hair was connected to the idea of, of a crown of wisdom. Saying, young man, you've got strong backs. Old men, you've got strong minds. Different gifts different moments, different needs. But are the challenges that someone faced in 1970, are they identical to the challenges that someone might face today? I mean, maybe with inflation, maybe a a little bit. But they're not identical, are they? They're they're different. We, We know that. And yet, they are not so different, people are not so different that we can't learn from each other, but we just can't pretend that they are interchangeable 
problems. They're unique. And so there's this tension that we have to live in where we we need to hear from each other, we need to speak to each other, we need to care for each other, and we need to recognize that what we've experienced might not be exactly what someone older than us experienced or someone younger than us is going to experience. And so what that means is, is that maybe some of the things that we did before don't make a lot of sense to keep doing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The, the essence, the drive, the conviction to care for, to entrust, to, to train up, all of those things should be true for every generation. But the way that we do it, the programs, the ministries, the methods, those can change. Those should change. I mean, a hundred years ago, I don't think Pastor Paul would have been teaching American football as a way to, to share the gospel in the UK. But it works now. And if it works, we'll, we'll do it. Praise God. In 1953, when this church was started, there were backyard Bible clubs, and, and they worked, praise God. This year, we're, we're trying a, what we call a turkey camp, a day camp for kids, because we recognize that, that mom and dad work, and they work all week, and most schools used to have kids in school until Wednesday, and because of COVID, most schools said, that's, that's kind of a pain in the neck, let's send the kids home for the week. And now parents have to figure out what are they going to do with their kids all week because they have to work until Wednesday. Well, we're going to offer a day camp for them. And and hopefully, lots of young people will hear that God loves them. We'll hear that God is gracious. We'll hear his invitation to be grateful for what he's done. They'll, They'll begin learning and interacting with our church community. It, it's not the same thing. We're, we're, we're trying it. It's, it's this brand new thing. And yet, the essence, the, the drive stays the same. I mean, let me ask you, really honestly, would you want to go to a doctor who refused to read any book past 1922? You wouldn't, would you? You would say, ah, uh, I, think, I think medicine has advanced probably in 100 years. And yet, for some reason, we sometimes feel this pull, this demand that, that our ministry programs should be kind of locked off at a 100 or 500 years ago, depending on you know, how reformed you are, I guess. But in truth, we can hold these essential convictions and with wisdom and prayer and thoughtfulness pursue multi-generational faithfulness in a way that makes sense. Now, let me also say, 
generational faithfulness is not an automatic thing, unfortunately. We can go to the Bible and we can see over and over and over again that there are leaders in the church where God worked through them and their kids were an absolute mess. And we can look in the history of our own church and see that it wasn't automatic that we cared for and kept our kids, that we received and handed down well, tragically. And it's, it's probably important to name that, to recognize that that, that was the case. I mean, even, even 20 months ago when, when we moved here, we met two families with elementary school kids in the church. Two. The nursery hadn't been used, not because of COVID, but because it wasn't necessary for years and years past. The young people, as they were growing up here, they had moved on after they... (laughs) after they graduated high school. As, as one older saint said to me, he, he said, for, for some reason, my kids look at this church and they think it's their parents' church, but they don't think it's their church. That's, that's not generational faithfulness. And it's one thing when people move to a a different church. And and there's a a little bit of sadness, but it's okay. It's something deeper when we recognize that young people don't walk into another church, but they walk away from their faith. And that's heartbreaking. In fact, Barna Research would tell us that 64% of young adults will walk away from their faith before they graduate high school. 64%. And that's not just a number. We know in our church family there are faces, there are people, there are relationships, there, are, there were kids that are now grown that we lament, that we grieve, that we wish they were walking with God. We wish they knew the Lord and what he had done for his people. And so, to, to be generationally faithful also means that we, we have to be willing to to lament and strive for something better at the same time. It's taken us a long time to talk about these core values. Um, You know, it's funny. For for some folks in the church, and this is just the funniness of God's people, there are some folks, I'm sure, that say, uh, Sam is 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 100 miles an hour, He is just going, 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 going. But then I also get calls from folks and they say, why are you taking so long? 
Why are you dragging your feet? I tell you what, one of the things that I've been dreading since I got here was standing up and talking about this subject. Recognizing that there are people in this room that are grieving over those who aren't here, who have walked away from the Lord. And that is not a small thing. That is a painful thing. And yet we can't just get around that. We can't pretend like that isn't true. We can say we we can grieve that. We can lament that. We can figure out how can we fix that and how can we strive to do better so that we see the kids who are here break that cycle and beat those statistics. I don't know exactly how we're going to do that. But I know it can't be just something that we do on the side every once in a while. That's why it's a core value. Generational faithfulness is essential. It's not an extra. We can't just receive the the goodies from God and keep them for ourselves. We can't just hear of this stuff and learn this stuff and take this stuff for ourselves and not ask, how can we hand this off? That passage that Katie read in Deuteronomy, in, uh, in the Hebrew culture, that passage called the Shema is, is one of the most central in the Bible where it talks at its core about this is how you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. But baked in to that instruction is also a charge that you make sure that you hand down that personal relationship to the next generation. Not through a a single program, but through a a pattern of life. As you walk into town and out of town. As you go about your daily business. You recognize the presence of God and you tell those around you of what he's been doing and what he is doing. And this is not just a biological thing. This is not just an encouragement for parents to take care of their kids. The church is a family that goes far beyond blood. That the Spirit is at work through us. That we, guys, we we don't belong together. And yet, because of what Jesus is doing, there should be nobody closer. (laughs) That's crazy. Which means that when The Bible talks about handing this off. It's not just about me selfishly thinking about my kids so that they don't ruin their lives so that when I'm 70 and I need somebody to put me in a nice nursing home versus a bad nursing home, they do the right thing. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about handing the most important things down 
so that they will hand the most important things down. So that their lives aren't full of the stupidities and the wounds and the scars that our lives are full of so often. That's what it means to be generationally faithful. And to be generationally faithful means that we recognize that as a church, we have a past. It goes way beyond 1953. It's a past that the the church has been handing down the truth of the gospel. Paul says several occasions, I deliver what I received. I give to you what was given to me. That Christ died for you. So that we are not just talking about our past, we are talking about our present, and we are talking about our future. Which ought to change the way that we see how we score the church. Do we score the church based on what's comfortable for us? Do we score it based on our own preferences? Do we score it based on what we want to accomplish? Do we treat the Christian faith more like a golf game? We go do our own thing, we play our own game, and then we come back together, and we, or maybe we walk together, or maybe we ride together, but it's really primarily about me. Or is this a team effort with different people and different parts of the church and different gifts and different skills, some with strong backs and some with strong minds? Serving and caring and loving each other. This is so much more than just a program we're talking about here. This is, this is a willingness to be in each other's lives. This is a willingness to give each other time, both young and old. This is a willingness to, to, to flex, both young and old. For some of us, it means speeding up, and for some of us, it means slowing down. For the sake of faithfully holding on to what we've received and faithfully handing down what we've been given as well. And so let me press in. When you think about your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, now, there are some of you, and you're hearing this, and you're, and you're here this morning, and you're trying to figure out what to do with Christ. And I, I would encourage you that if, you're, if you need to walk slowly, we will be here to walk slowly with you. And if you have questions and you are, you are looking to figure this out, we will, we will help you walk towards Christ, because we have the conviction that we believe that everyone's life would be better, would be truer, would be more genuine if it's connected to Jesus. But it can't just be about your life. And so many Christians stop there. So let me push in. What is the score that you are keeping? 
What makes you decide that something is a win or a loss? Is just the, the comfort, the song, that the, the reading was too long or it was too short. <laughs> I, they did that song and I don't like that song, or they did that song and I don't like that song. Or is it that we can say, yes, the faith that has been entrusted to us is being entrusted to others. The faith that's been given to us that is precious and true and good is being held by us and being celebrated by the next generation. That's the score that we have to keep. And if we are unwilling to keep that score, then I have to ask you a more painful question. Do you want the epilogue of your life to be this? They did great stuff. They did amazing things for the Lord. They knew God. They knew what was going on. They saw Him work in their lives. But their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, their nephews, the people around them had no relationship with God and knew nothing of what God had done in their life. I don't want that to be the epilogue of my life. I don't think any of us do. Which is why as a church we have said we want to be generationally faithful. We want to do what it takes to take the unchanging beauty of the gospel and see that it is not just precious to us, but that it is precious to as many people as we can possibly hand it to. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful for your holy word, both for the, the painful truth of Judges and the beautiful invitation of Deuteronomy. We pray, God, that you would, that you would help us to take your word and explain it and apply it and unpack it in the daily rhythms of our life as we walk into town and as we walk out of town, as we, as we go about our daily life, as we rise and as we sit. Would it not be true, Lord, that we were happy for ourselves and didn't care that after us no one knew you or what you'd accomplished? And so give us generational faithfulness, God ultimately because you are faithful from generation to generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.